Hello, people. It's Wednesday, February 13th, 2019. Welcome to this week's edition of the FritzCast. How's everybody doing? It, it has been cold, snowy, and then rainy in Delaware. It's actually kind of like warm today. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a weird change of pace, if you will, from... Last week, or, or not last week, but two weeks ago when it was an Arctic chill, I wouldn't know, though. I was in Florida where people were complaining about 50-degree weather in which I would have worn shorts, but that's me. I could go on about the weather and complain about that today, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that because now it did. We're getting to the point where the tide will turn, right, and it'll get warm. And then we'll be talking about how global warming's a bad thing, and and uh, things of that nature. But that's going to come into discussion in this podcast in a little bit. Uh, not to, as you noticed this this week, I really didn't do a an intro of that magnitude to say what we would exactly talk about in the program every little bit. But if you want to hint right now, it might have something to do with a deal. That may or may not be new and may or may not be green. Uh, but but more on that. More at 11. That's a teaser is what we call that. To keep you hooked while I ramble about other nonsensical things before we get to that topic. But I've been having some really good responses to the podcast as of late. Uh, as of last week, I've finally got the podcast on Spotify. So if you're a Spotify person if you have that if you use that platform like and subscribe to fritzcast on spotify and spread it out that way too spotify gives me i would argue better analytics than most of the other ones that are available to me like google google plays is you know eh, whatever uh apples is uh hit and miss for me soundcloud's been my primary upload source and I've been bet you know, SoundCloud hasn't done me wrong, but the the features for it and where it's gone and where it is, I might have to mull over moving the podcast from the SoundCloud format to another one, such as like Spreaker or uh, uh, another uh, Podbean, something other than that. It, it all depends on the cost, though. SoundCloud's fifteen bucks a month. You know what are these other sources? You know, that's why I never really primarily developed a website, per se. I didn't want to be paying for a web domain and, and all that jazz when this is more like a social media world, like a Twitter page, a Facebook page, you know, some, some YouTube content seems to do well enough than having a www.com website. Uh, I, I don't even understand. Some Sometimes I don't even understand .com websites. Uh <laughs> If you think about it from when we were young teenagers, and that was everything, everything was, you know, oh, you go online to this webpage and, and this thing, this content that was there, you know, I mean, th th that's not so much how it is anymore. People don't really like, you might go to an article on a website or some other content, but usually you find like content on YouTube or the, the big thing now is mobile apps, like usually you can just find a mobile app. And you're not even on a web page of sorts. You're on a mobile app on your phone. You know, it's crazy. And I'm not into I'm like 
if you're expecting a Fritzcast mobile app, I mean, don't hold your breath right now. Uh, I'm not diving into that level of a uh, of investments. More on investments in a minute, um, but I'm not I'm not diving into that level of. You know, I don't think there's that many. I like I have just under three thousand Twitter followers. I don't think there's that much demand for a Fritzcast app, and I think most people are getting listening in on their preferred podcasting platform that's an app right there i don't have to pay for that app i don't have to contribute money to that app but so many people are using it and it's up and it's floating you know those are methods that i'm going to stick to for right now unless you all want a fritzcast app i don't know why you would doesn't make sense to me but you know, as for the as for that thing about, about investments um i just got into this robin hood thing which is a mobile app and a website and all that. It's a stock exchange thing. I've never done this business before because when we talk about stocks, stock market, buying shares of companies and all that, it's a little confusing to me. I don't know everything there is to know about this stuff. All I know is with Robinhood, I have some friends at work that are using it, kind of experimenting with it. And uh, I figured what's the harm in trying it out, and like right now they have promotional stuff going on. So like if you sign up, you'll get a free stock in a company, you know, and it'll be it'll be randomized. But like my my buddy invited me, he got a free stock. I've got a free stock. My stock is like in AK Steel at like two eighty nine a share, and I have one share. Ooh, I'm living the high life at two dollars and eighty nine cents right now. You know what I mean, but there's certain aspects like you know I don't you, you don't want to just dive in and like buy things that you like, like oh I'm gonna buy stock in Apple because you know I'm sitting here right now before you with an Apple iMac and I have an Apple laptop, uh, a, a MacBook Air in my living room. That's my my wife's old one, and she has a MacBook Pro or MacBook Air. I forget what we replaced her old MacBook with, but so now I have dozens of Apple products. I'm on my Apple phone, right? So like I love Apple. I'm going to buy a share in Apple. Like, yeah, you know, you know, what's the trajectory of that share that I buy? It would have made sense if I bought Apple back when it was $50 a share and stockpiled and got like 20, 30 shares of it where it would be like a hundred dollars or whatever it is now. And you know, Ooh, look at my earnings. That'd be different. And I'm sitting here on this AK Steel stock at 289, and you know I could buy it up. I could buy a bunch of it up and watch it jump to six dollars and go, "Ooh, look at my little measly earnings." But I, you know, I at least I can say it's like initial steps. It's trying to figure out how this stuff works in a, you know, nicer controlled environment. Some people. I know there's other e-trades and and things like that online with the stock market where you don't have these like third-party middlemen that you're dealing with. Like Robinhood, you're not dealing with that. You just literally you go on and you look at a company stock. If you want to buy shares, you type in how many shares you want. It gives you the price, the current market price at the time, and then you buy them. And that's it. You're not paying you know any commissions on it or whatever. You're just buying the shares. And then if you want to sell the shares, you go on there and you say, I want to sell this many shares or I want to trade this many shares. 
and you do it. So I mean, cracking down in that world, you know, <laughs> I'm no guru, okay? Not a guru. Don't know what I'm doing. I'm learning what I'm doing right now with baby steps and with chump change. All right, not we're not talking big, massive dollars here. Am I crossing my fingers and hoping I find that company that goes from selling shares at a dollar per stock and they magically become $50 per stock and I just so happen to buy 50 of them when they were a dollar? You know, yeah, but that's also what we call a pipe dream. That's going to come into play later in the podcast too. Pay attention. So I'll see how that goes, but if you want in or if you want to look at it, I actually posted something on my Twitter about it. Um, and if you click the link, you know, I kind of get a... Another free stock. And you'll get a free stock. And you'll get a free stock. It's like Oprah. Everybody will get a free stock if they just sign up under the link that I provided so I get a free stock too. I mean, I don't. I, that doesn't really do anything for you other than get you a free stock. But, you know, I mean, I'm trying it out. Seeing where it goes. Um, also, I can't remember if I talked about this the last time. I, I, the last episode or not, but... um. I happened to have uh, bought a security camera from from Ring, Ring.com. So it's been like two weeks that I've been rolling with a, with a security camera, or a week. Like I said, I you know, sometimes you lose track of time. Uh, but I've been rolling with a security camera, one single security camera, and the Ring app on my phone and Ring.com. You can log into your account. It's nice. It's nice to have this camera. Um, and the way that I have it positioned pretty much sees the whole front half of my house and my doorway and my driveway. And uh, so far, I'm loving it. Um, motion detector, night vision, the whole nine yards. It was like 170 bucks for the camera uh, for service that keeps it, that keeps my footage bookmarked. For like sixty days or ninety days, I forget what the what the clause is there. Uh, it's like thirty dollars for the year for that one camera. If I had multiple cameras, say I bought like six of them, say I, I, I outfitted my house with like six cameras from Ring.com, then it would cost like a hundred bucks to cover all of it for for the year, and it would automatically bookmark footage. And the nice thing about that bookmarked footage is you can go on your computer and you can download it, or you can download it on your phone, and it's HD. And you can save it, you can use it on any platform you want. You know, that's all nice stuff. I got into some discussion and, and arguments with other people who had Ring and then dropped it because of HomeKit integration and Smart Lock integration and all that. And let me tell you right now, just from a security sense, um, I'm not into making my home a super smart home. That is, you know, linking my thermostat to my phone uh, in an app, link, linking my uh, door locks to my phone in an app. Uh, I'm not into digitizing my house entirely because I'm a little paranoid. I work in, you know, the corrections field. I follow technology closely. I've had, uh, I've, I've been unlucky enough to be in breaches of information from people like Sony, and stuff like that. You know, I haven't had any detrimental hits to my credit score or my identity being stolen or anything like that, but 
just just pushing it on the next level of, you know, oh, I have smart locks on my home that are connected to my phone and all that crap. I don't want somebody to be able to hack my house. Hack my house. That's what I'm talking I don't want somebody to be able to hack my house. It's a little ridiculous. So smart locks, I'm not into them. Never will have a smart lock on my door. Never will have some kind of... So that will always be hard, hard lock and key. Straight up. Never will, never will go against the the tried and the true. On that, um, but so far in using this one camera, I've I've had a a, a pleasant and and more you know, one of those you sleep a little more soundly and when you're away from home and like maybe your wife's home alone that kind of thing, I have more of a peace of a mind because I can go and look at that camera anytime, and then like. With the cell phone app, you get instantaneous. Uh, you can get instantaneous alerts when your motion sensors are getting tripped. That can get a little annoying, but the other thing is that you can draw your motion sensor fields in the app of where you want motion to be captured and when you want it to be recorded and all that, which is great and it's awesome. So if you want to know more about Ring products or you want a little more detail or, or things of that nature. Hit me up um, on, a, on on the DMs and Twitter, uh, fritzcastpodcast at gmail.com, what have you. And I'll gladly discuss more and what my plans are for my house. But when it comes to things like, does this integrate with like locking your doors better on an app? I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I do, I'm not trying to make my house more hackable. Than it already is, which is my, you know, my internet line and my computers and all that. I'm not trying to make it so that somebody could hack my locks, hack my thermostat, hack my, you know, toilet. You know, I, I'm not interested. I don't know why somebody would want to hack your toilet per se. I mean, uh, uh, let me back up. If I had a good buddy that I was screwing around with and I could hack his toilet so that it wouldn't flush like any time he took a deuce, like I might do that. I might do that. So, like, let's just add personal responsibility to that as well. <sighs> oh, boy. All right, so um, one of the most ambitious proposals came out uh, in the last week from none other than Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, everybody's favorite uh, star of the, of the left right now, uh, called the Green New Deal. She actually talked about it uh, I believe during her campaign, and you know it's out there. It's being talked about now by the president Donald Trump. Uh, Mitch McConnell has already said that. Uh, what, what did he say? He said, "I've taken. A, a, we've, I've talked about this uh, Green uh, New Deal with with uh, great interest, and we're going to vote on that and see where where everyone stands on the Green New Deal." And he's, he, by the way, <laughs> by the way, he did that press conference wearing a green tie on top of it. Um, cocaine Mitch strikes again. Uh, Mitch McConnell's pretty much trolling uh, there, as is the GOP Senate trolling there. But but we can get to that in a minute. What is this green New Deal? What is it about? Um, it depends on what analysis you want to read. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I took to Twitter to talk about the Green New Deal. And in the tweet that I put out, 
Um, and the tweet that I put out, which, mind you, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, is, you know, obviously vehemently defending this. This is her platform. This is the hill that she will die on, much in the sense that the hill that Donald Trump will die on is the wall. Okay, so it's the the same extremes. Same extremes, different spectrum. Uh, in a tweet that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez put out, which uh, a Republican senator was uh, terrified that she was coming to steal their ice cream, or something like that, something ridiculous. Um, she tweeted out, maybe if the GOP did their job for once and read a piece of legislation, they'd see that communities plus jobs come first, not last, in the hashtag Green New Deal. And I put out there, I retweeted her tweet. I follow her on Twitter. Yes, I follow politicians that I vehemently disagree with. Who knew? I follow Elizabeth Warren. Uh, I follow Kamala Harris. I follow pretty much all those people, Bernie Sanders uh, included. I follow them because I want to see what they are tweeting out or what their people are tweeting out uh, to stay on top of it, to stay abreast of the situation, if you will. So I retweeted her tweet and put out, The Green New Deal isn't even legislation. It's equivalent to my Amazon wish list, which includes an $800 Lego set my wife won't let me buy. But seriously, it's a list of things they would like to do with no actual plan and method of paying for it. Noble? Maybe. Practical? No. Same as my Amazon wish list. Is my $800 wanting of the Lego Millennium Falcon noble? Absolutely. Is it practical? I guess you could argue that it's not. And is it physic- Is it fiscally responsible? Hell no. Hell no. Which is why my wife won't let me buy it. And we'll, we will talk about the crusade to, to get it for me later. Uh, n- not to mention the fact that in my house right now, currently, in this house, period, the end, this this physical house that I'm in there's not space for that it would literally take off like 70% of the floor in my office and that's a no-no that's a no-no especially with the fact that I'm getting ready to overhaul and finish up a room that's going to be a nursery yeah the options are a little low in this house but that's what the green new deal is it's 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 a proposal or as one of my followers put it, um, it's a statement to promote legislation. That's what it is. It's not. Um, it's not. It's not like here's the legislation and here's what's gonna. Here's what we're gonna do. It, it's. It's literally a wish list. It's. It's as if you compiled a, a, an Amazon wish list of all the things you want in politics or from your your representatives. Um. What's in this thing? Is is the real question? What's in the Green New Deal. And why are so many people calling it um, a fantasy? And that doesn't just come from... That doesn't just come from Republicans and people who are completely political enemies of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. That comes from Democrats, too. Now I'm going to read snippets from an NPR article about this. What is the Green New Deal? Very broad strokes, the Green New Deal's legislation laid out by AOC and uh, Senator or Representative Markey, uh, Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts, that 
sets goals for some drastic measures to cut carbon emissions across the economy from electricity generation to transportation and agriculture. In the process, it aims to create jobs and boost the economy. In that vein, the proposal stresses that it aims to meet its ambitious goals while paying special attention to groups like the poor, disabled, and minority communities that might be disproportionately affected by massive economic transitions like those the new green deal calls for. So it's already saying it's already saying that there are going to be people that will be disproportionately affected and the bill is supposed to rectify that. It's supposed to rectify a problem that it creates, believe it or not. Um more importantly, this article goes on to states it's a non-binding resolution meaning that even if it were to pass it wouldn't itself create any new programs. Instead, it would potentially affirm the sense of the House that these things should be done in the coming years. Uh, they pass non-binding resolutions for things. This is what this is what the article says: that lawmakers pass non-binding resolutions for things like congratulating Super Bowl winners, uh, as well as sending political message, like telling the president they disapprove of his trade policies. Things of that nature. So what is the specifics and the frameworks, the, the, the nitty-gritty details? The bill calls for a 10-year national mobilization towards accomplishing a series of goals that the resolution lays out. Um, among the more prominent, the deal calls for meeting 100% of the power demand in the United States through clean, renewable, and zero-emission energy sources. That is a mountain to climb. But regardless, uh, the ultimate goal is to stop using fossil fuels entirely. As well as transition away from nuclear energy. In addition, upgrading all existing buildings, all existing buildings, all the buildings, all existing buildings in the country for energy Efficiency, mind you, this is like a ten. This is a ten-year proposal too, like a ten-year national mobilization towards this stuff. So this is like a ten-year short-term goal list of things. Working with farmers to eliminate pollution and greenhouse gas emissions as much as is technologically feasible. Overhauling transportation systems to reduce emissions, including expanding electric car manufacturing building charging stations everywhere, and expanding high-speed rail to a scale, scale where air travel stops becoming necessary. This is where it especially gets harried. A guaranteed job with a family-sustaining wage, adequate family and medical leave, paid vacations, and retirement security for every American. Wow. Wow. High-quality health care for all Americans, which is to say the new, the Green New Deal framework combines big climate change-related ideas with a list of progressive economic proposals that, taken together, would touch nearly every American and overhaul the economy. Now, whether or not these ideas are doable, I would just like to point out before we go into this discussion that... Just yesterday, I believe it was, the national debt 
topped $22 trillion for the first time in U.S. history. Uh, The debt has gone up more than $2 trillion in the last two years since President Trump took office when the debt stood at $19.9 trillion, and it surpasses the $21 trillion for the first time in history, which under the Obama administration... The debt grew from $10.6 trillion to $19.9 trillion, an increase that drew criticisms from Republicans. Obviously, people like myself drew criticisms. But the fact that Trump, you know, th- th- this is the arguments that we like to get into politics. Some people are like, well, Trump only increased it by $2 trillion, and that's it. And it's been, you know, three years. So it's only increased by uh, two trillion dollars that's that's that that's an accomplishment no no not to us limited government libertarian types who want to see that that debt they want to see that debt for 22 trillion go down not up if we're, if we're talking about accomplishments is it really an accomplishment to say I only raised it by two trillion dollars? In, you know, half of my term versus what Obama did in a full eight years and two terms. But how much, how much more can you go? You know, it's, it's, it's almost like if me and my wife sat down trying to tackle our debt. All right, and I'm not going to go into like our actual financials here, but let me just throw out a number there. Let's say my me and my wife are in, you know, to throw an attack out on a board like $50,000 in debt. All right. And we're trying to tackle and get out of the debt. All right. And we go over the finances for the year and we calculated and last year we added you know, we added $10,000 to that debt. But this year, we only added $7,000 to that debt and didn't pay it down, though. But we only added $7,000 to it. Did I really make an accomplishment? No, I'm still fifty now $7 or $57,000 in debt. So I don't want to get into those arguments. I really don't want to get into those arguments. We, we have a lot of debt. We have $22 trillion in debt, which... Unfortunately, our government treats like a joke. Some people look at it and treat it as a joke. And don't think it's a big deal that we are $22 trillion in the hole. So now back to the Green New Deal, right? So is these, is, is this idea doable? This is going off of the NPR article. Um... AOC's wanting in 10 years to be carbon neutral. Um, This is according to Jesse Jenkins, a postdoctoral environmental fellow at Harvard's Kennedy School, uh, saying that it may be an unreachable goal. May be an unreachable goal. Quote, where we need to be targeting really is a net zero carbon economy by about 2050, which itself is an enormous challenge and we require reductions in carbon emissions much faster than have been achieved historically. He said 2030 might be a bit early to be targeting. Similarly, 
Removing combustible engines from the roads or expanding high-speed rail to largely eliminate air travel would require nothing short of revolutionizing transportation. Likewise, some of the more progressive economic policies, universal health care and a job guarantee, for example, while popular among some Democrats, would also be very difficult to implement and transition into. On top of all of that, implementing all these policies could cost trillions upon trillions of dollars. Mind you, the Green New Deal is loose legislation or loose framework for potential future legislation. But in reality, is it achievable? And are, are certain aspects of it even good? I'm telling you right now, something would scare me. When you're talking about the government guaranteeing a job for every American... Are some of these intentions noble? Yes. But we're not debating nobility here. We're not debating whether or not something has noble intentions. We're debating whether it's practical and achievable without sinking yourself. Take, for example, the the, the jobs guarantee aspect of it. And mind you, there was wording in this thing that had something along the lines of even for those unwilling to work. Excuse me? Unwilling to work? If you're unwilling to work by the laws of nature, tough luck if you're unwilling to. Good luck then. Have fun trying to sustain yourself if you're unwilling to work. Go ahead. Do it. We're not going to take care of you. We're not going to band together as collectivists and say we're going to take care of the guy that's unwilling to do stuff. I'm just saying. But a jobs guarantee, what does that entail? Does that mean that people now can't get fired from jobs for doing horrible work, abusing their sick leave system, things of that nature? Like people can now underperform at their job. They don't have to have at least somewhat of a pressure to perform even at a baseline. Like what does that mean? What does a jobs guarantee mean? What does that entail? Is, is the government giving out a job now? Is it assigning jobs to people? It's a scary notion. What does that mean? What is it, what, and, and what does it entail? What happens when you have somebody who truly doesn't want to try, doesn't want to apply, doesn't want to push themselves, doesn't want to do it, but you're going to guarantee them a job? What does that entail? There's too much undefined aspects in that and then there's just the fact that I don't believe the government's here to ensure that I have a job that's not what I expect out of the government I don't expect the government to do something for me to ensure that I have a job there's going to be jobs for me anyway there's going to be work that has to be done the other ambitious things like electric cars Electric cars aren't terribly inefficient now. We have things like Tesla that on a full charge in 45 minutes can typically get as about as much as a, a gallon or a tank of gas in a car can, which is impressive, and there's charging stations all over the place. There comes that bit about where is our energy coming from for electricity. We want to get all these cars onto electricity to cut down on gas emissions. 
But where does our electricity, where's the brunt of the electricity come from right now? As of right now, and this is according to the National Academics of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, secondary source of energy, because you can't just harvest it from the ground, you can't just mine electricity from the ground, is derived from primary sources including coal, natural gas, nuclear fission reactions, sunlight, wind, and hydropower. Most direct uses of primary energy are limited to generating heat and motion. Electricity, by contrast, is extremely versatile with a wide range of complex applications. Electricity plays such an essential role in contemporary American life that its supply and demand are often examined separately from the primary sources used to produce it. So the energy sources used to generate electricity in the United States in 2015, here's the breakdown, 33.2% coal, 32.7% natural gas, 0.7% petroleum, 19.5% nuclear, and then 13%, 13% was from renewable energy sources, 6.1% was hydropower, 4.7% is wind, 1.6% is biomass, 0.4% 0.4% geothermal, 0.6% solar, and 0.5% other. Oh yeah, and other is not even in the renewable sources category. Basically, until those numbers change, and some of it depends on the efficiency of what we're talking about, until those numbers change, you could put as many electric cars on the map as you want. of the power is coming from coal, 32.7 is coming from gas, 19.5 from nuclear. Is it cleaner? Is it greener? I don't know, because guess what? You put all those cars out there, you're going to increase your demand for electric output needs. And that's something else that I've argued with people on, on, on a whole scale right now, especially with legislation and red tape and government intervention and all that. I have solar panels on my roof. I love my solar panels on my roof. I would love it if I outright owned the system and owned the power that it produced so I wouldn't be paying for it. It's a long story, (laughs) but that's where it stands right now. I still have the potential for that, but guess what? Thanks to legislation and red tape, they can only draw up a system that can produce so much power on my house. That number was, for me... 70%. And it works. And on a yearly scale, I do get upwards of close to 70% of the production that I need from the solar panels, which is great, right? Green renewable energy, right? It goes back into the grid, goes to the power company that's making dirty energy, if you will, with coal and all the other methods that it makes electricity, and they sell any excess energy that I don't use and all that jazz. It's almost like I'm an extension of the electric company with solar panels on my roof, right? That's not to mention the fact that when the sun goes down, they don't produce no more. They don't make no energy. So I'm already drawn back on the grid as soon as the lights go down. As soon as the sun goes down, back on the hardwire grid with this mix of electricity. Right? And then in the wintertime, guess what? These months where it's winter, it's not... As uh, the, the days are shorter, uh, the, 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 the positioning of the sun in conjunction with my panels and how it harvests the energy, it's down. 
I get maybe like 15% of the production I need in a day, if that, from my panels in the wintertime. It sucks. Summertime, it's off the charts. I'm putting out extra into the grid and all that crap, which is great, right? It, it is great, but overall, I, I, you know, I scratch 70%, and that's just me in this one house. And thanks to legislation, I can't bump it to 100. I can't put more panels, say, in my backyard, around my fence, uh, or even in my front yard. I can't do that. Thanks to legislation, I can't do that. I can't get to 100%. I can't go above 100%. I can't. I couldn't be producing 150% of my needs and be storing it in the battery to keep my house running if you know the power grid went down. Because, oh yeah, by the way, if you're on solar energy... You're still hooked up to the grid, and if the power goes out for the community, your power still goes out where you're at. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that nuts? That's just another aspect of, you know, how are you going to make this attainable? High-speed railways that eliminate air travel, that virtually eliminate air travel anyway, or the need for it. That's highly ambitious, but according to NBC News this morning, uh, Governor Gavin, California Governor Gavin, has slammed the brakes on the high-speed railing project. Quote, in this article by Alex Johnson, California's new governor, Gavin Newsom, sharply scaled back plans to build a high-speed train from San Francisco to Los Angeles on Tuesday, saying the program had been botched and cost too much. Speaking in Sacramento in his first State of the State address since he seceded Jerry Brown, who, like Arnold Schwarzenegger before him, had strongly promoted the bullet train as governor, Newsom said he would proceed with work on a 160-mile stretch in the state's Central Valley where construction is already underway. Quote, High-speed rail is much more than a train project, Newsom said. It's about economic transformation and unlocking the enormous potential of the valley. Left the door open for... Um, more work on it, but when state voters approved the massive bullet train plan in 2008, the project was envisioned to open in 2029 at a cost of $32 billion, but the California High-Speed Rail Authority last year pushed the completion date back by four years and said it would cost at least double that. That is the other nasty thorn in the plan of the Green New Deal. And the one that people just seemingly don't want to talk about and always want to ignore. The same thing that the government always seems to dance around. The money, money, money. $22 trillion in debt. Can you really afford to undertake another $5 trillion, $10 trillion, $15, 20 $25, $30 trillion on top of it, taking this debt to $40 or $50 trillion. It's, it, right now it's insurmountable. Right now it's insurmountable. What government spending can we you know rein in? What can we do about our debt? What's the plan? Is there a plan? Or do people just want to keep turning a blind eye and hope to God that they're not around when the generation that has to pay for it has to pay for it? That's the scary business here. That should be the scary business here. We want to talk about climate change being a big factor 
in our in our lives what happens if the whole government collapses because it sank on its debt what then i mean you want to talk about disastrous ends to things like people people do, seemingly don't understand that if uh if their little you know green new deal ain't going to pass or or sinks the government structure and setup of of everything that they were trying for then it becomes all for naught, and you still have your climate change disaster underway, don't you? Here's uh, John Stossel on it. The national debt now exceeds $20 trillion. It happened after President Trump reached a deal with Democrats to allow the government to go deeper into debt. In that meeting, we agreed to pre- pass an increase in the debt ceiling. Schumer called it a really positive step forward. He likes it because more debt means government can spend more. And Democrats love spending more. Schumer wants no cuts to entitlement spending and more spending on Amtrak, solar subsidies, Obamacare, even the F-35. It's always more. And Republicans? Well, they like spending, too. The House vote to increase the debt limit was 316 to 90. One of the few who voted against it was Thomas Massey. He understands how important debt is. When you walk into my congressional office, the first thing that you see is not a picture of my family or a picture from my district. You see a debt clock square right there staring you in the face. I put that up the first week that I got to Congress. Number one, to remind me why I came to Congress four and a half years ago. Well, you're failing. Yeah. Well, I'm trying, okay? If only a few more would try. Today's polls rarely even make suggestions as to how we might address our debt, our unsustainable increasing debt. They just keep spending more, increasing the debt as if nothing bad can ever happen. The increases are so big, I had to leave the building to graph them. Less than 5% of the economy. Here's World War I. Here's World War II. Used to go down after wars, but now, even in peacetime, it only goes up. Pretty soon, we're up here. How are we going to pay for that? It's crazy. Imagine you and I had a credit card debt, which was higher than our national income. Well, that's what places like Greece have. Now that's what we have. And nobody cares. They're going to start caring when they start looking at the the dollars that they're going to have to spend. And then what? No one knows exactly. You can pull a rubber band and stretch and stretch, but at some point, something bad is going to happen. What will that be? I assume Congress will just have more money printed to pay for things like its bigger military and much bigger Medicare and welfare state. What will happen next? Maybe wild inflation like they've got in Venezuela. This is not that unusual. Zimbabwe printed more currency to pay its bills, too. Now we have billion-dollar bills from Zimbabwe. This today is worth nothing. Could happen to us. None of us knows when this will blow up. To prevent the crisis, all Congress would have to do is slow spending increases to the rate of inflation. But they won't even do that. They just raise spending and raise it until... Something bad is going to happen. And that is where we're left on it. Is the Green New Deal noble? Maybe. 
Is it moral? Eh. And is it achievable? Whoa. Pump the brakes. Guys, that's going to do it for me for this week. Catch me on Twitter at FritzQS, Facebook.com slash TheFritzCast. And if you need to reach me, FritzCastPodcast at gmail.com. Remember, we're on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, we're on Stitcher. We are now on Spotify. Share it, like it, leave your thoughts on my forums. Let's interact about it, because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. I don't know. But anyway, I love you guys, and I'll see you next week.